HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today in the pangs of summer. Luckily enough, here with Jenny Britton Bauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, that is. Uh, just recently received your cookbook put out by Artisan this summer. And man, even being a lactard, I've been salivating over it. Luckily, I brought a whole bunch of lactate pills so I can sample your wares, but thank you for coming in from the Midwest. It's great to be here. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah. Um, your childhood, were you a big ice cream eater? No. No? No sweets? Oh, lots of sweets. <laughs> um, every dessert is my favorite dessert. Pecan pie, um, key lime pie, brownies, um, but ice cream, not so much. I ate ice cream almost every night, though. Yeah. But it wasn't, you know, we. I I came from a family who had candy dishes all around, homemade candy, to, you know, yeah. fudge and whatever, all over the house in different places. My grandmother, I just ate sweets my entire life. Yeah. But, but ice cream was something I ate almost every single night and um, never really thing. thought about. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of like Haagen-Dazs and... Just cheap white. Yeah, cheap white <laughs> in a pint. Big yeah. spoon in front of the And TV. sometimes my grandmother would put her, her strawberry jam on it. Yeah. And that was awesome. I always loved that. Yeah. When, when do you think the first time you had so-called artisan ice cream, handmade ice cream? Um, well, I would say the first time that I made it. I worked, <laughs> but but that's not 
Uh, exactly right. I mean, I worked at Grader's Ice Cream when I was in, in high school. Yeah, what is Grader's? Grader's is a local, uh, actually, they're from Cincinnati, Ohio, and they're well known in the ice cream world for making really great ice. And they make it um, in small batches, I think, you know, two. Uh, gallons at a time and they have to pull it out with a paddle yeah. and, you know and it's and it's good ice cream um uh so i had that but but what happened was when i was working at graders a french bakery opened up across the parking lot and so i used to go over and get a fresh baguette right out of the oven mm-hmm. and go back to graders and put vanilla ice cream and strawberry sauce on the baguette and yeah. eat that sandwich amazing yeah so, and this so the, you know there's that yeah this was the french baker you ended up working yeah. in mm-hmm. yeah well what's it called it's called Le Chatelaine. Yeah, I didn't want to butcher that French word, so <laughs> yeah. made you say it. They're like my second family. They're yeah. wonderful people. But uh, it was kind of old world tradition. I mean, it wasn't like... Very rustic. Yeah. Although they would make macarons in their kitchen. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't sell them out front. And recently they've been selling them a little bit more, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was during high school. Yeah. So formative, working in a bakery. Did you have aspirations to become an ice cream chef? No, no, not at all. Um, I, I still wanted to be, you know, a fashion designer or whatever. <laughs> uh, my grandmother's an artist, so I, um, I always just sort of knew I would be an art. Yeah, and what kind of art does she do? She, um, she's an art teacher and an English teacher. Yeah. And she's still alive. She's in um, Arkansas. Um, but she d- painted, she did everything. I mean, she painted um, lots of, she still paints. She, um, she makes things. So she, um, like we would, you know, be driving in the truck or whatever, we pull over and pick a bunch of cattails out of the ditch and go dry them, dye them and make baskets. Yeah. You know, she was always, you know, on some whim. Yeah. And, I, lo- and I love that tactile DIY thing that everyone thinks is nouveau at the moment. Oh yeah. No, I mean, she would make um, wall hangings out of her own dog's fur. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, always, always busy. Yeah. You know, and we had 10 acres of forest land that we had uh, maybe 12 gardens in. So we tapped our maple trees. We had honeybees, got our own honey. She tended many, many gardens. We had one garden just for her favorite flower, gladiolas. Yeah. We built a teepee, authentic, because she's very much into, she researches, researches everything she does uh, before she even gets started. And it can take months or a year. So when we built this teepee, we then painted it. You know, it was, uh, it's an amazing place. Yeah. Well, I see you have some of your grandmother's traits as well. <laughs> and my other grandmother too. She's yeah. an entrepreneur. Excellent. Um, Back to the bakery, though. I mean, having these very tactile old world traditions, you know, croissants and otherwise, is this where you learn your like foundation for handcrafted? Definitely. Um, I didn't get to spend much time in the kitchen when I was in high school, but I asked for that. Um, I begged them to give me a kitchen position uh, later on, and they did. And I got to um, make all the croissants from scratch Mm -hmm. for about a year. So I would make a thousand a day or something. I mean, just oh, I from hope you had scratch. A Maybe not a day. Yeah. It couldn't have been a day. Um, hundreds a day. Yeah. And um, oh, I did. I yeah. did. Yeah. But I will tell you, that thing doesn't work that well. Yeah. Or maybe I just wasn't that good at it. Um, it, um, you know, it depended on the humidity and, like I say in the book, like the phases of the moon could yeah. affect how it. You know, the croissant dough yeah. is so biodynamic you know. croissant. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you're putting it through there or whatever, and and you couldn't leave until they were all done. Yeah. Because there couldn't, you know, can't open tomorrow without croissants. So anyway, it was a it was a wonderful thing. But I always went home smelling like like blueberry butter, which was <laughs> fabulous. I mean, yeah. I, Love that. So eclairs, Napoleons, tarts, pastry cream. Yes, and I wasn't in charge of making the Napoleons or eclairs, uh, or the pa- well. I did make pastry cream because I would fill croissants with that sometimes. But, um, but I was with the chefs. I had my own sort of corner. Yeah. Uh, everybody else in the kitchen spoke French, except me. And so I would just sort of walk over and, and look at what they were doing and help a little bit and you know make a ganache or whatever for the cakes and you know 
spend a little extra time so, there. So it's interesting. Why why did you end up going to art school or look towards French art rather than culinary school? Um, it, well, I was already doing that, and it's and it was just sort of uh, I just fell in love with art history as I was taking classes at Ohio State, and then doing fine arts too, um, and. I, that was when I sort of I came up with this idea for ice cream. It was an accident. Yeah. And I'd had some experience at the bakery just being there. And I think I just sort of knew about ingredients. I mean, one thing before I even got to work in the kitchen, um, one thing I used to do is, um, and I don't know that they know this, although they probably <laughs> do now, um, is I would lock myself in the pantry or in the cooler and like eat the pastry. There were like cake ends and pastry cream <laughs> and Valrona chocolate and these really delicious tinned uh, apricots from France that yeah. they would bring in. And I just was like... In heaven. But at the same time, don't you wish they had secret video of you doing that, that you can have, have on your own website or for your own It would be the best reason to go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stealing from uh, the, pa- the pantry of the pastry yeah. chef. <laughs> it's not too bad. Um, so going to art school, though, you, you studied French art. Um, you said in your book, Gaelic. Uh, oh, you know, it was just, yeah, yeah I mean... Uh, yeah, I was I was very into to, to French art. I mean, and I'm kind of all my life have been like a an armchair sort of French. I don't know. I wouldn't say historian, but maybe just uh, fascinated with. I mean, I read all the books on Marie Antoinette and Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yeah, and um, had big crushes on Henry Plantagenet and um, all you know all those old you know French characters and all that. So it's just sort of um, uh, you know. It's just something I, I loved. Yeah, but I mean, in a lot of that literature, too, there was a very copious and illustrious desserts. I mean, yeah. there was always a <laughs> well, sweet Well, especially juice. in Marie Antoinette, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we did a whole collection of ice creams a few years ago when Sofia Coppola's movie came out. Because when I heard she was doing a movie, yeah. I was unbelievably excited. And I loved that movie. Um, and so I did a whole collection of ice creams um, that I thought would be... Some of them were flavors that I think would have actually been around in Marie Antoinette's court, like violet that we don't get here yeah. very often. And we imported this uh, violet extract from this... Um, we directly imported it from this small farm in um, south of France. Actually, our friends from the United States, wine um, wine merchants, they imported it for us. And yeah. Excellent. What other flavors did you uh, concept? Uh, the pear Riesling was made for that. It's sort of Austrian thing. Yeah. Um, um, oh, the best one, which we still make a lot, uh, is brioche with butter and jam. Oh, yeah. Toasted no, brioche. Yeah, I'm, make, I'm making that one. I saw that one. I love that flavor. So then I went back to the, the French bakery the, yeah. where I worked because I used, that was the other thing I made is the brioche. And so I had them make all the brioche for us. Yeah, no, it was interesting, too, to see, and we'll talk about more of the recipes and the process of ice cream, uh, but we'll skip ahead to your collaborative nature is really cool, that, you know, after making all this ice cream, you reached out to the bakery you worked with, you reached out to other vendors in, uh, where are you, in North Market was your first store, Um, Mm -hmm. and you reached out to other vendors, Uh, there was a you know, Indian food um, and incorporating sweet curry into your ice cream. Do you like working with the local community in that way? Um, I, well, I feel like I grew up in the market. I mean, I started my first business there when I was 22, but I had also been going to the market since I was a kid. And there's about 60 merchants in the market, including the farmers that are outside. So it was um, sort of natural. First of all, I was a very, it was a tiny business and I couldn't afford to make any big orders with any bigger companies. And this was Scream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just, I just went and bought, you know, I took my 10 bucks and I went around the market and figured out what I would buy with it and make ice cream out of it. You know, I mean, um, that was really how I started. And I, it was the best place to learn about ingredients and to try um, techniques and, and whatever. It was just the best. So I, I met everybody. Um, and that just, just became the way that I do business. Yeah. You know, I don't ever want to go to do it differently. I mean, that's how I know. I still work with the merchants in the market and I'm inspired by them. Mike, the cheese guy. 
That's yeah. actually his name. He knows more about cheese than I'll ever know. And I don't need to know that much yeah. about cheese because it's, I can go yeah. down to Mike's and it's called delegating. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and the other thing is it's really cool because when you make uh, an ice cream out of something that somebody else made or, or imported or whatever, they get really behind it too. Yeah. And they start spreading the word about it. So it's a pretty good business model actually. So cheese, gorgonzola. I think there was a Gouda in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. What, what other cheeses have you put in your ice creams? Um, let's see. Well, Parmesan, mm-hmm. um, and goat cheese, a fresh, just a fresh goat cheese. Um, the gorgonzola is probably, well, the goat cheese are most popular. Um, so that's, yeah, I think that's about it. Cream cheese. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then of course, mascarpone and, um, ricotta. I'm trying to think if there's anything else over the years, probably. Yeah. And oh, cheddar. Cheddar. Oh, yeah. Really? For apple pies. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So did you do an apple pie cheddar ice cream? No, just cheddar. Because sometimes yeah. I just like to make ice creams that you can use to put on your dessert. That's awesome. You know, and yeah. in the market, we were shopping or grocery destination. So I knew that you could get an apple pie right down the way yeah. more, from Amy the Baker. And so, you know, my um, the Gorgonzola would go with her pear tart. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she also was the impetus for your butterscotch. Uh, Coconib. Yeah. 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 She's um, she's great. She's a wonderful baker. And I love that Lebanese, uh, you know, eatery that you had, pomegranate molasses ice cream. Yeah, I mean, just walk around the market. Every, everything that's there at some point made it into ice cream, except for the cow eyeballs. The, <laughs> um, you know, there's a butcher shop in the market, and the kids grew up, I mean, I grew up with me. I mean, I, I love the, all, all the kids. They're now, like, you know, in, in college now, all these kids. But, you know, they'd run around the market, the, the butcher's kids, with um, eyeballs of yeah. various animals. Yeah, but there's not to say there isn't proteins fun. and fish in some of your ice creams. That's true. Um yeah, um, and and for various chefs over the years, I've done you know different fish or a fish ice cream or smoked salmon or, um, yeah, the veal and um, and raspberry. Yeah, what was, was that for? For was it demigloss? Yeah, for yeah. Um, Chef Elena, um, in in Columbus, she's always up for anything, and it was and it was her idea actually. Yeah, and the bacon praline. Yeah, which was um, which I have to give my husband credit for. We there was a great breakfast place in columbus that did brown sugar bacon he was like "Eh, this would be good on ice cream (laughs) and he's not a huge dessert freak so that was the first thing we do we just put that bacon right on the ice cream and then it became experimenting with making bacon into pralines or whatever i still think though the bacon hot bacon is the best way to serve it on ice cream it's hot on top of ice cream yeah do you do that shop as a topping ever um no we don't we don't we don't we can't do that in our stores it's just we don't have the right equipment yeah so but parties yeah all this ice cream talk. I mean, you do sherbets. You do... Uh, um, what do yogurts? Yeah, yogurts, sorbet. sorbets. But, I mean, the primary thing that you focused on and loved your whole life was ice cream. Uh, so much so that you went to school, in a sense, for ice cream at uh, Penn State. Tell us about that experience. I did. And I had already been making ice cream for like three and a half years. And when I went, um, I learned... It sort of solidified the stuff that I'd been becoming sort of intuitive about that I'd just been doing. Yeah. And, um, you know, they never talk about... They never talk about anything that sounds delicious at Penn State. It's all, you know, milk proteins and lactose and sucrose, you know, and none of it sounds... Butterfat. Um, and butterfat yeah. and, and globules. Yeah. I and mean, the best, you know, mm, the sexiest, most delicious words. But, you know, seeing that under the microscope, seeing how it works, doing all the tasting and understanding how these ingredients work together and making lots of different ice creams with lots of different defects and then sampling them and understanding how every ingredient plays a role. That was really important in my... And my uh, growth, I guess, as an ice cream maker. Yeah, and I still paternal. can't figure out that math problem. Ice cream, <laughs> you know, is a math problem. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, that is very difficult for me. But, um, you know, I get through it. Yeah. I mean, but 
what's awesome about the book too is how you simplify the steps. Um, yeah. It's literally four steps. Mm-hmm. And by going by that process, it kind of makes... I always thought you just dump everything in the ice cream maker, go, go, go. But I mean, there is homogenization, thermalization in a sense. And there's some science to it. So you can It's all science. Yeah. It, it's all science. Every ingredient in ice cream plays a very important role. And it's important, you know, whether it's a very watery watermelon, it's important because it's just gonna it's gonna make your ice cream very icy. Or you can figure out how to take care of that and make it not icy, you know? So every ingredient is doing something to your ice cream. You have to figure out uh, so what I did was when I created this recipe, this is like when the, in my business, is I work backwards mm-hmm. from the what I want to achieve. Scoopable, lickable, great texture first. Because we can put flavor on any flavor on top of that. Yeah. You have to have a foundation that's scoopable. Yeah. And 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 smooth. Um, and the science at home is the same as the science in a in a in an ice cream lab or or production kitchen. Excellent. We're going to take a quick break and get back to prepping three bowls, cooking, chilling, and freezing, and making your own ice cream at home. Jenny's splendid here on the food scene at HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. <laughs> service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to the main course Sundays at 12 p.m. with hosts Patrick Martins and Katie Kiefer. They examine issues from the interconnected worlds of agriculture, cuisine, and sustainability. They sit down with key players in the chain from producer to consumer, farmers, distributors, chefs, activists, and journalists. The main course explores every important component of the eating experience, how the farmers raise their product, the distribution channels that move the product, how the chefs prepare it, and how ethics and policy affect everyone involved. Again, that's the main course, Sundays, new on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Jenny of Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream. New book by Artisan, but also uh, 10 shops, Midwest and one in uh, Nashville that just recently opened. No. Yeah, three hour line, three hour line. Yeah. yeah, the the word on the street is there were five thousand people in line. I don't think that's true, but it's <laughs> <laughs> like all clamoring for ice cream. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah, it was do, great. Do you have expansion ideas for New York? Well, that's that's been something we've been thinking about for years. Of yeah. course, I mean it's um, it's not easy. I mean, you know, yeah, we have, there's a lot of reasons that we we have to be careful about expansion, but um, it, it's hard to get the ice cream here for one thing. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Um, so we'll see. Yeah, because you work with specific dairies, too. Um, I noticed. Snowville. Yeah, Warren Taylor. Warren. Warren I mean, and I are, are, like, made for each other. Yeah. 
Uh, but I also love that there's a profile in the book. Uh, tell us a little bit about your relationship, how you met him, and why 16% milk fat. Um, Warren and I, um, I met, I, I pursued Warren <laughs> because I have pursued everybody in the dairy business yeah. in Ohio over the last many years. Um, uh, just to get good milk and cream. And we've seen dairies come and go. And so whenever I hear of a new one popping up, I'm, you know, hot on the trail. So um, so Warren wasn't interested in me at all. It was, uh, it was, you know, he wants everything, just all health. He's not interested in ice cream. Ice cream's yeah. not very good for you. <laughs> you know, grass-fed milk and cream, um, you know, it's good for you. We got to get good milk to families. And he was all, and he still is, all about, um, you know, uh, getting non-pasteurized milk from the cow to the grocery store in a, within a day, mm-hmm. the same day. So he can't do that legally in Ohio, but he's working hard to make that happen. Hopefully someday it will. But um, so I, it took a little convincing on my part, but um, it's running a business, a dairy business, is a very hard business. So we have this amazing symbiotic relationship. Um, when So 2% milk and skim milk is more popular than whole milk. Whole milk is 4% butterfat. You take some of that that cream out and you get 2% in skim milk. So every dairy has this problem. You end up with a ton of cream left over. Yeah. So every dairy, like Snowville, needs to hook up with an ice cream maker <laughs> like me. It's perfect. Um, so that's what we do. He uh, Every time he sells you know, more milk and cream, or more milk, we get more cream. And we sell more ice cream, he gets more milk. And there's just no waste. In fact, we're, we're buying more cream than what they can produce. So we're working with some other farms even now, bringing it in through Snowville uh, in order to make it work. Yeah. I just had this plot in my head to somehow drink or get rid of all skim in the country to make more ice cream. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just buy more skim milk. Yeah, buy more skim. Buy more Snowville Dump it down the drain. Milk. And, uh, it, the milk is awesome. And it's, um, it is, it's, all, it's grass-fed. And I don't know if you've ever had a side-by-side comparison with grass-fed and, and, and uh, regular milk. But it's, there's no different. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's mm. there, you know, it's, it's grass-fed milk is, is yellow. Yeah. It's ivory colored. No and the comparison. other comparison yeah. is what I meant to say. Um, the other is um, kind of gray, you know? Yeah. And it's just different. It's um, beautiful. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, it, it, it's crazy to see these two things lined up and see all these years drinking skim, which I thought is grayish blue. You know, right. it has like. It is blue. Yeah, this, this kind of a. Pacific Northwest slash London appeal to it. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it never shone like ice cream. Um, summer days on the beach, you know, walking the streets. Uh, it just didn't correlate in my mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of nice to hear that you're looking for the yellow cream. Yeah, definitely. And when we started using grass fed, we've always used, um, you know, organic or whatever. But when we started using exclusively grass fed, our lemon yogurt, which is my favorite of all of our yeah. flavors, um, started tasting like cheesecake it yeah. was weird we were all like oh my gosh we're gonna have to adjust the recipe it tastes too rich and you're like don't it shouldn't it. taste yeah. rich this one should actually taste light and tart and um so we, we adjusted the recipe yeah some flavors green market inspired talking about going to farms um you know after you reopened jenny's uh what in 2004 2002 2002 you were inspired by not just vendors, but what you had around you, local produce. So strawberry buttermilk, cucumber creme fraiche, backyard mint. Um, what was the impetus for this? I mean, were you seeing many ice creams that were using farmer market ingredients? Well, and that's what I did at Scream. It was the same. Uh, it was just, it was a continuation of what I had, what I had been doing. Um, those flavors I had, you know, um, it was just going through the market. 
and yeah. getting back together with the farmers that I had, um, you know, left for a couple of years. And in fact, we're still working with a lot of those farmers still to the, today. Um, I always I like to tell the story that when I first started, uh, we used to buy twelve flats or um, tw- uh, two twelve dollar flats of strawberries. Yeah, um, f- f- you know, during strawberry season a week, and there's like three weeks of strawberry season in Ohio. Um, so it was about $24 I would pay to the farmer. And they didn't really care that much. It was like, okay, well, if we have any leftover, you can have that. It's not that big of a deal. But last year we bought <coughs> last year we bought 24,000 pounds of <laughs> yeah. strawberries from uh, some of the same farmers that we were working with and now another, um, all grown in Ohio. And, and actually this year now it's up, it's up to more like 40,000 40, pounds. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's really, to me, awesome how this can scale up. Yeah. And how we can, like, you know, I, was, I like to say, I didn't really make his day back then. But, like, we're making their year now. You know, it's it's great that um, we can help sort of promote these. And the same with our goat cheese supplier. I mean, we're her, yeah. you know, by far her biggest account. And it's great. She gets to do what she loves. And so do we. I mean, other local businesses. Chocolate. Where do you get that from? Well, we get um, uh, our chocolate from a, a Missouri chocolate maker, uh, Sean Eskinosi. Uh, actually, for one of our chocolates. And it's an awesome chocolate. It's our Eskinosi chocolate. Yeah. But he, um, it's not just single origin. It's single farm chocolate and he's unique in the world of chocolate in that i don't know how many other american chocolate makers do this but um he actually gets his own cocoa butter out of out of the the cocoa bean and separates the um cocoa powder and then he adds his own cocoa butter from the same farm yeah back in to make that you know you have to do that when you're making chocolate to make it shiny and have it that crisp you know crisp. i don't know that much about chocolate but yeah <laughs> whatever it is that he does the magic um so he has all this excess cocoa powder and he doesn't um, Dutch process it. And so I tried it, and I thought, you know, everybody talks about Dutch process, like, you know, always get this, you know. And I found that I really love the not Dutch processed cocoa for a different reason. Oh, don't tell the Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> and I like the other, you know, all you know, all chocolates. But this is really special. It has like, almost like a, um, well, you know how, like, bad flavors can be good? It almost has, like, a fungus flavor yeah. to it. And it's very um, uh, acidic. So the clash with the heavy cream is is really evident and i love that about it and it's actually lighter but it tastes darker yeah lighter in color so you actually use that in your ice creams for one ice cream for our askinosi we'll use it in all of our ice creams as soon as he can make us more yeah we, yeah. we just buy all that he can produce yeah and um barley brewery company yeah barley's um they're right in the parking lot with the market so um you know they're constantly in the market and and you know that was something i made early on in my ice cream career um just getting some of their stuff. They have a Russian Imperial Stout that is wonderful. And it's, it's very um, strong in flavor, which is great because you don't have to add very much to the cream because, yeah. you know, beer and stout are very high in water, which is your enemy in ice cream making. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was a big one. Yeah. So what are some of the more inelastic, your best sellers? What's that? As flavors go. What our are, best sellers? Yeah. Um, well, salty caramel. Salty caramel is our is by twenty five is twenty five percent of our business, and we make it on a we we caramelize the sugar on a copper burner a copper I mean a copper kettle over a, an open flame. Um, uh, the definitely our chocolates um, our um, lemon yogurt is up there with the top, and that's my favorite flavor. So maybe that's why because I keep telling people about it. our yogurts are are <laughs> really it wonderful. On yeah. Um, uh, the cherry lambic oh and our almond brittle. The brown butter almond brittle. We did this every. So I would like to say we don't just follow what's growing, um, but we um, we follow the emotions of the season. Um, so in the holidays, we pull out all the stops and we do like. Uh, so we always have some kind of a theme and whatever. So one couple of years ago, it was um, Norway, 
was our theme, and we did um, Crokin, which is uh, which was rumored to be Roald Dahl's favorite flavor. Yeah. And it's like an almond brittle. Well, all these Norwegians across America got wind of this. <laughs> and it was one of our most successful collections ever. We shipped it all over the United States. Yeah. Couldn't believe how much business we were doing because it word spread within that community. And we heard that it was like, you know, the best croaking that they'd ever had and whatever. Wow. So it had to stay on our signature menu. Yeah. And now it's one of our most popular flavors. It's a good thing you got the Norwegians after you ostracized the Dutch recently. <laughs> right. <So. laughs> Working through that Scandinavian peninsula. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to get to the process before we run out of time. I mean, it's amazing. You hear all these flavors, hear all these stories, but the simplicity of putting these things together, well, I mean, it's not simple in the sense as far as a business and all the time you spent, but making ice cream yourself can be very simple. Uh, four separate steps. Prepping three bowls, cook, chill, freeze. Could you run us through those? Yeah, and um, um, what I just like to get everything ready. So measure everything out. Get yeah. your, you know, you want to get you want to get your ice bath ready because you want to cool your cream off as quickly as possible, um, uh, and then just get everything prepped. And that's the three bowls and all your stuff. And then what you do is you bring um, um, your milk and cream and sugar and corn syrup to a boil, and you boil it corn syrup or tapioca syrup, it's yeah. glucose, um, and you boil it for four minutes. And that's a really important step that does a whole bunch of stuff. That's the step that replaces egg yolks in the recipe. Yeah. Um, um, and then after that, you, you mix a little bit of, uh, oh, uh, tapioca s- starch or cornstarch into it to thicken it just a little bit. Yeah. And that makes the slurry. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. yeah you, you make a slurry out of that and then you just kind of drizzle that in, bring it back up to a boil. And then you, and then I, I mix in a little bit of cream cheese, mm-hmm. which is a strange thing to add to ice cream. I know, but it, um, it was like the final sort of tweak to get it. My goal was to make it as close to the ice cream I produce in my kitchen as possible. And the cream cheese gives it just that little bit of body that it needs. You can't really taste it yeah. in the ice cream, but it just bring, brings the, it gives it a little more umph. Yeah. And then um, cool it off as quickly as possible. I like to put it in a plastic bag or, or a ball jar and just put it right in an ice bath and leave it there until it's cold. Um, it has to be as cold as you can get it. So, you know, 35, 40 degrees. Um, and then pour it in your ice machine. Uh, make sure the canister is frozen. It had been frozen for at least 12, 24 hours. Um, and then it'll, you know, turn it on, spin it, and you're done. Yeah. Now, from out. there, you add whatever you want to it. Yeah. You know, um, you know, before you put it in, you can add different things. Or after, when it's coming out, you can add, you know, streusel and berries or, you know, whatever. You know, um, any baked good, you know. Um, I have a whole bunch of options in the book that we actually use in our kitchen, like pralines and um, all sorts of different things. But you can use any of your favorite you know, baked goods, cookies or whatever. Yeah. And then you let it sit in the freezer before you actually serve so it. So then that's the important thing, because for me, it was I, I wanted to make American scoop shop ice creams, the stuff that we grew up with that we like to go get, you know, in the artisan ice cream company. So it had to be scooped when it's solidly frozen. Um, so, yeah, you put it back in the freezer. And I will and I will tell you, most a lot of flavors develop further, um, especially flavors like cinnamon and vanilla and cayenne. Those will actually get a little stronger during that time. So you let it sit in there for about four hours and then bring it out. You might have to temper it a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. but you can usually scoop it right out of the freezer. Yeah. And then you got a lot, a lot of time to eat it because it won't melt right away. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> Other tips. Um, I noticed something about knowing when the ice cream is done, uh, pulling away from the sides of a... Well, you know, and wouldn't you know it, as soon as we, like the day we went to print, yeah. Cuisinart comes out with another ice cream machine. <laughs> um, I use Cuisinart machines. I had to choose one. I chose mm-hmm. that one. And, um, you know, all those canister machines will work perfectly. Um, so 
the old Cuisinart machine, I, I, I found, and a lot of people have this, still have this machine, so it's great to know this, that you'll get like a wall of super high butterfat um, on the side of the yeah, canister. I'm really good at doing that. So you have to <laughs> wait until, that, until the canister is no longer freezing and the ice cream falls back into, and it will, it will churn back into it, but you have to, you have to be patient yeah. and get through that. We realize this. Um, That's one thing I'm not and, patient. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you're not patient, yeah. that wall is really tasty. It's very yeah. fine and delicious. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, when you, but when it goes in your ice cream, it gets a little chunky. The new Cuisinart does not do that. So you don't have to worry about that step. With the new Cuisinart, they're much, it's, a, it's more efficient at scraping uh, the sides or whatever, and it's great. And I, and I like that machine a lot. And in fact, I think it's more efficient at freezing. Um, it's got, I, I don't know this for a fact, it seems to freeze it har- um, faster. Yeah. And what, what do you use? I know there was a part in the book, too, where you traded everything in and got your, you know, $1,000 Italian ice cream maker. Um, at, well, to test all these recipes, I have about 20 or more of those Cuisinart. Yeah. Um, I built a test kitchen that, that is just a cheap, you know, apartment kitchen um, but it's a home kitchen for yeah. this book. In our professional kitchen, we use um, Carbagiani batch freezers. They're from Italy. They are, they're wonderful, and I've never used anything else. The Lamborghini of ice cream makers. They are. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, that's right. Those things are bad. They should even make they're the awesome. rev sound, you know, when you yeah. turn them on. <laughs> well, and, you know, in, in American ice cream, you wait till it's, you know, until it has a, the right amount of air in it. That's when American ice cream makers traditionally know when it's done, when it's yeah. got enough air pumped into it and it spins enough and it's there or whatever. And it's not that frozen at that point. Then you put it in a blast freezer. With gelato machines, it's done when it's done. You yeah. don't do that step. And you don't need a batch or blast freezer. It's just, it does. The machine kind of sound, starts to sound different, and you know it's done. You yeah. know? It's so funny, your background in French, or classical French, uh, both art and baking, an Italian ice cream uh, maker, and then you make American ice cream. Yet, you kind of bring all these things together uh, with certain recipes like your ice cream sandwiches, which reintroduce the macaroons of your <laughs> right. youth. But do you know that that actually was because um, I was looking for something really colorful to put? We had this. I wanted um, to have a display cabinet in my shop that looked like a Wayne Tebow painting. And yeah. so I, that, the really, I wanted to do donuts. Yeah. Actually, Wayne, Wayne, if you're listening, if you want to yeah. be on the show, come. <laughs> Brooklyn's I know great. He should. Yeah, I know. Makes sense. He's, he should. He's, I heard he's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll have him call in one day. But if I could have done ice cream donuts, I, that's what I would have done. I, yeah. You know, I couldn't figure that. But so macaroons were perfect for that because you can make them in all different colors. And I wanted it to be very colorful. So even though they're French, I kind of wanted them to look really American. And we even fill them sometimes like a donut. Yeah. You know, we put like um, like, like a, a homemade blackcurrant jam in it or something just so it's kind of like a jelly donut. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. well, hopefully you will ice cream donut someday to happen. I know. Yeah. I wouldn't mind that. So good. And my favorite, which, oddly enough, I mentioned on this show a couple times, uh, Baked Alaska. Mm. And our Baked Alaska is so good. Um, we do a Baked, baked Alaska pie. Oh, yeah? Which is, um, which is better than a Baked Alaska, I think. Yeah. Um, our pie crust is, is great, too. It's not sweet and it's not salty. It's just this perfect for Baked Alaska pie is crust. Is it a traditional, like, pâté soup, pâté brisé? It's, it's almost just like a... Like a like a uh, biscuit, kind yeah. of, um, like a kind of like a cookie, but not too sweet. Yeah, um, I didn't want to end the show on a low note for me that I have to talk to a Ohio State University ice cream maker. Um, <laughs> but your Ohio State Buckeye ice cream, um, 
Oh, what the Buckeye did, State. Yeah, the Buckeye State ice cream. I, I'm a U of M fan, bleed blue and gold. Yep. Sorry, all you OSU fans. Sorry, Megan's father. Um, <laughs> but what what was your Ohio State Buckeye ice cream? Well, okay, so, um, you know, being in Columbus and in Ohio, you cannot not notice the Buckeyes. Yeah. I mean, the ones that grow on the trees and also just the peanut butter um, covered in chocolate yeah. candies that everybody does. And, of course, the football team. Um, and it's pretty delicious. I mean, there's nothing, you know, even the bad ones are pretty great. Yeah. But in the market, there used to be one, uh, this couple used to make these amazing, they were they were sweetened with honey and dipped in chocolate and peanut butter. I mean, it was wonderful. Um, so, I thought, you know, it's really good. Why would I avoid making some this? It's so delicious. And there's a peanut butter company, the oldest one in the in the country, Cream and Nut Company, right down the street from oh, us. We've worked awesome, with them for yeah. years. So, so I started making them. But we call it the Buckeye State because I feel like we're in a way here to say there is so much more to Columbus to Ohio than the Buckeyes. And the Buckeyes are great and they do a lot for our city. Um, and of course, Ohio State, having gone there and studied art and art history, yeah. Ohio State's an amazing place. And I've spent so much time in the, in the ice cream plant and in the, in the, in the, in the food science um, uh, plants uh, and department. And I just, I just think that there's so much more to Ohio and Ohio State and yeah. Columbus. So anyway, the Buckeye State is almost just sort of my sort of way of saying, yeah, I can do this too. Yeah, yeah. What else? I mean, what other produce is... Uh you know, prevalent of Ohio. Um, let's see. Well, black walnuts. Yeah. Are, I mean, if I had to say, what does Ohio taste like? I was like, sweet corn and black raspberries. That's a flavor that we make. And that, that's like the flavor of Ohio. Um, but also, um, black walnuts, um, um, are amazing. They're really big and, and we get them wild foraged from, um, Southern Ohio. Um, of course, you know, strawberries all over the state. There's there's cherries up north. There's apricots and plums up north. Uh, I, because we're in Columbus, I think of the whole state as our, uh, is, is local, you know. And even like, you know, some, like right over the border, you know, we're going to get bourbon from Kentucky and cherries from Michigan bourbon. and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So you put a little booze in ice cream for the adults. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was funny when I was talking to you before about whether or not you eat much ice cream at the house or you let your children have ice cream. You said, no, not really in the house. We go out for ice cream. And obviously, where do you go out for ice cream? Oh, we go. To, yeah, we go to our we go to our, our ice cream shops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When when did they find out about ice cream? When did they find out their mother was an ice cream maker? Um, I don't know. They've just always known. It's not a yeah. big deal. They're only they're two and three years old. Yeah. Um, but it's funny. They. I love it when I see our, our trucks drive by and they recognize the logo and they say, you know, and they call me Jenny a lot <laughs> too. So like mommy too, too yeah. but also Jenny. I think that's so funny because of the business. And, yeah. And I love that. Um, but you know, they're, they're constantly, you know, they see it, they recognize the logo, which I just think is, is wild. Yeah. That, you know, a two year old will point out and say, Jenny's ice cream. Yeah. When you were what? 22 opening up scream with red hair. Did you ever pink think hair. pink hair? <laughs> Did you ever think that this was going to be your life? Do you know I did? And I, um, um, I knew the moment I first made my first ice cream, which was I mixed cayenne essential oil into <laughs> store-bought chocolate ice cream. Yeah. And everybody went crazy. And I, I thought, geez, this is really cool. And um, it was like, I really feel like, like the sky opened up and I knew that the rest of my life, would, this was what I was doing. And I, like, within a couple of weeks, I, I left my last art class and never went back. Yeah, well, and uh, even you know, at Scream when it didn't work, uh, I just I had I had no doubts that it would work eventually. Well, I think you're making ice cream art now. So <laughs> great way to put those two things together. Uh, thank you for being on the show. I'm gonna get my thank lactate you. pill on and sample some 
wonderful ice cream oh, by Jenny's so. Splendid. Um, if you're in Ohio, stop by one of her stores. Let me Na- know you're there. Yeah, Nashville now. Uh, great book by Artisan. Make ice cream at home. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Hope to have you next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Every spring at the end of kidding season, goat dairies across the country are faced with the question of what to do with their male bucklings. Because on a dairy farm, there's no role for a male. Often the most economical thing for these farmers to do is to cull the animals at birth or ship them off to the commodity market. Heritage Foods USA is embarking on a new project, No Goat Left Behind, looking to step in and fill this niche by creating a marketplace for these male bucklings. Visit us at www.heritagefoodsusa.com to learn more and to reserve your goat this coming October. New York Night Train, Summer Soul Shindig, Rockaway Beach Party, featuring the 45 RPM soul magic of DJ Jonathan Tobin. Saturday, August 20th, 6 to 9 at Rippers, Boardwalk 86, Free Party.